Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com. Check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have an absolutely killer talk with Cal State Fullerton's Dr. Andy Galpin. Andy is an associate professor out there at Cal State Fullerton. He's working in uh, biochemistry in the molecular exercise physiology lab, and he also works at the Center for Sport Performance, and they have a really interesting setup out there at Cal State Fullerton. They... Um, have a bunch of PhDs out there who are strength coaches. They were strength coaches first and got the higher level education, changed their first name, and now we're doing some really awesome research to help us all become better coaches. Dr. Galpin shares with us some of the studies that they've been done, how they collaborate with the athletic department at the school and other teams in the area, from pros to MMA fighters to all these different people and how the research is driven based on the performance of the athletes. We get into how their decisions for research are driven and how fast research is moving because of technology and all these other things. Uh, really fascinating stuff. And then we do get into, because he's got a really extensive background working in MMA, so we get into, his, uh, into the background with that and how he handles his fighters and how there's so many different ways that you need to handle these guys. Uh, it's really an awesome talk. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Doc, thanks for spending some time with us today. Fantastic to be here, man. Awesome. So let's uh, let's give people a little rundown of what you guys got going on out there and, and what you're building and, and start with that. Sure. So I'm a professor at Cal State Fullerton, and specifically I'm in the Center for Sport Performance. So I was brought on about five years ago by a, a gentleman that a lot of you probably know, Dr. Lee Brown. So just got inducted into the NSCA Hall of Fame. Um, just one of the world's foremost researchers in sports science. Done, He's done more practical on-field research than any person probably in history. Um, just more stuff that directly translates into what you do with your athletes, what not to do. Uh, so he brought me on a bunch of years ago to, to complement what he's already been doing and, and to specifically add more of a cellular molecular answer to it. And so what this means is we'll do a study looking at, say, two different uh, sprint techniques or two different squatting styles or, or programs. And we'll look at, okay, which one is more effective, which one made you jump higher, run faster, things like that. But then let's add the muscle biopsy on. And let's figure out, okay, what's happening at the cellular level that explained that performance. So we're doing cellular stuff and molecular stuff, but we're doing it for the sake of performance, not for the sake of, of, of cell culture, right? We want, to, we want to make changes in athletes, and that's really what we're building. That's awesome. And then you guys do do some work with athletes out there as well. Yeah, we, we do a ton. We do a, a tremendous amount with um, – you know, our students and our student population uh, to simulate that. But we also work directly with the Division One athletes we have at Fullerton. 
We have a fantastic relationship with Isaac and Will, who are head our Division One strength conditioning coaches. They were actually both our former students, so that's helpful. Um, and then we work. We have a ton of professional teams. We work with the Anaheim Ducks. We've done the Kings in the past. I personally work with a lot of mixed martial artists, a lot of UFC fighters. Uh, another one of our faculty does a tremendous amount with NBA players, uh, professional golfers. So between all the faculty, we really have about every form of major athletics, uh, really cup surfers. I mean, you just, you name it, jiu-jitsu guys, we, we bring it all in. That's awesome. So one thing that a lot of our listeners would be really interested to, to hear about is how the research directly correlates or translates into what you guys are doing with either it be your fighters or with what the guys at Cal State Fullerton are doing with the baseball team or whatever it may be. So mm-hmm. let's take a step back. Let's talk about some of your research and then where that's led into the performance aspect directly. Yeah, so the way I can answer that actually is to give you just a quick shot of who I am personally. And I actually, like, I'm a PhD, I'm a researcher, I'm a director of a biochemistry and molecular exercise physiology lab. But I'm a strength coach. Like, I'm a strength coach that got a PhD. I'm not a PhD who's trying to figure out strength. Like, this is this is where I come from. So for me, the reason why I do what I do is to say, let's take some of these sweet or really interesting performance questions that I've had, you know, and all my friends have had when we're in the weight room, when we're training, when we're competing and powerlifting, weightlifting. Uh, I played college football. And now let's actually get some real answers that that, that change performance. And so the, the best way I can answer your question is saying, Okay, let's take a question. For example, we just published a paper. Uh, we were the first ones to actually look at what happens when you put chains or bands, heavy elastic bands on your deadlift. Right? So people have been squatting, deadlifting, benching right. with bands and chains, you know, for forever, right? Right. And I mean, hell, Louis, Louis has been doing that for four decades, right? Yeah. yeah. And all of us have been doing it. I played with it in high school 15, 20 years ago. But now I'll say, okay let's actually do that. We know it works and we know there's benefit to it, but let's start explaining what the benefits are so that we can learn exactly when to implement it in our program and maybe when something else is a little bit better. So that is just, I mean, I could give you, if we have four hours, I could go over all the studies we've done. <laughs> but just as, this is just one quick example. Um, so in that particular study, we found that uh, the, the bands, we'll put it this way, they're not it's not a it's not a matter of good or bad. It's not a matter of worked or didn't work. Like if you've ever squatted with bands or chains, you know it does something. And so the question is never in science, in sports science, does it work or not? That's just a bad, bad question. The question is what did it do and what did it compromise? And so with the bands specifically, we found, okay, that was actually very, very good for speed, acceleration, and power. Mm-hmm. Tremendously good, but it did compromise overall force production. Really? Oh, right. But that now, now you have to understand what that means. That doesn't mean if you're trying to get stronger, you don't do them. That's not what it means at all. It just means, okay, what, am I, what phase of my training am I in? What's, what, what mesocycle or what microcycle am I in? Am I trying to optimize acceleration, speed, and power? Then perhaps we shy towards a little bit more of band work or, or chain work. Am I really trying to peak force production? For whatever thing you – whatever reason you've established, this is the, the goal of – Maybe even this meso, but maybe even this particular workout, or maybe just this exercise, and then I'm going to go on and do more speed stuff later, or whatever happens to be. And so that's just one example of us trying to help identify, okay, what are you guys seeing out there in the practice, and how can we help you put it put it in more effectively so you can time your programs a little bit better, and so we can understand a little bit more of the scientific basis of what's going on with these really cool practical questions that we know work, 
we just want a little bit more detail so there's not as much guesswork on your end about how to implement it and how to apply it. And that's awesome because I think that there's a lot of people that look at what we do and, you know, the typical, I don't know, complaint, if you want to say it, is that the, the research is always five, ten years behind what we're doing. But now yeah. that you have somebody who's looking at not just what you're doing, but what it's doing to mm-hmm. what you're doing, I think that that's going to help coaches exponentially. Well, actually, I would actually agree with you. The The science is considerably far behind the application, and five, ten years would be would be generous, right? In a lot of aspects, we're 20 years behind. But here's the sweet part about all of that. Like right now, like as these days go by, for the first time in human history, that's changing. Mm-hmm. And the reason is technology is expanding. And so the real, the rationale, the, the reason why we're so far behind sports science quickly is the fact that there's no funding in sports science. No one's going to give me money to do that deadlift study. Like no one cares besides some power lifters and strength coaches, right? And right. those are typically broke communities. Like you, you, <laughs> you don't go into coaching because you want to get rich, right? Right. right. So what, what it means is like, hey, you've had people like me that want to do that stuff, but it's sort of like, okay – there's no way I can do funding and it's not about paying my salary. It's literally about like, I, I can't rent the equipment. I can't buy equipment. Like it's just not going to happen. But with technology, what's happening is we can speed up the rate of doing these things. Technology is getting cheaper. So I don't have to find $40,000 anymore to buy a force platform. Now I can buy one for a thousand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now also in addition, I would have to write these grants Hope I get it, end up not getting it, beg and plead, and it's a couple of years to get this money. Now with things like crowdfunding and other avenues, we can get that money within two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and now we can actually do these things to bring that gap between performance and science a lot closer. And then where it's going to actually exceed, and this is going to be happening in the next five years. In fact, there's already some studies been done where we're going to start exceeding a little bit past performance because we're able to – Instead of guessing so much in, in nutrition and performance, what we're going to be able to do is do some very cheap testing at the genetic and cellular level of individuals and then legitimately be able to, for the first time in history, actually do individualized programming. Hmm. That's what's actually happening. And I'll give you one example. A really neat study was done, and this is very entry level. This is like we've got a million miles to go with this stuff, but this is a proof of concept. So, so don't go crazy on this one. I, I was talking about this with somebody um, uh, at a place on, online a couple of days ago, and they're freaking out. They're like, well, bro, they didn't do it in weightlifters, so it doesn't mean shit to weightlifters. I'm like, oh, God. Like, it's the first one ever. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> back off. Yeah. But what they did was they basically had people show up to the gym. They did this genetic testing first based on what they found genetically. They then put them in one of two programs, either basically a higher volume program or a more power-based lower volume program. And they tested them all at the end, and they looked at the rate of increase was much higher in performance when you were actually put in the proper group based on your testing rather than put in the opposite group. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense, right? But we've actually never been able to do that before. So then at at risk of opening Pandora's box, what, what were the identifiers? So in this particular study, they just did a very, very simple genetic screen. So what this is, is they're able to identify a couple of genes that are associated with things like uh, fast-twitch fiber quantity. 
And then they were able to say, I mean, I'm very simplifying it, but something like, for example, those that have more fast twitch fibers are not going to get as much endurance or as much volume training mm -hmm. because you're probably not going to respond to that as well. And those that don't get more volume, get more endurance-based stuff. Interesting. Now, again, there's a tremendous amount of holes with that. It is, I'm not saying like, this is it. Go get your genetic testing. This is the fix of all your programs. I mean, we're 10 years away from even having good answers. There's all kinds of problems because there's, you know, 20,000 genes. They just picked a couple of them. There's major limitations. But folks, this is where it's going. And, and we're going to really have it. And this, I think, is a really exciting study to show there's potential here. Um, and now we may be able to exceed, at least in some aspects. Now, you're never going to change like a genetic test that you spit into a cup for. That's never going to ex exchange or replace a strength coach, especially one that's got 20 years of experience or 10 years of experience. Like, you're never going to match that. But this is going to be some really complimentary stuff. And it, it's at the very crude level now, but this is what's coming. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome, and that's actually fascinating because the, the more that we can do, obviously, to improve things more efficiently is, is obviously big time. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like we all know this, and, and you say this 100 times with all of your coaches and, and all of the people that uh, intern and, and, and work under you, it's like, well, hey, even the best coaches in the world, you're still just guessing with your program. And then you're going to modify it as you go. You're going to see how people respond, right? I mean, no coach writes their eight-week program and goes, right, you do everything in this program no matter what because I wrote it, damn it. Like, you go do it. It's yeah. like, well, okay, this is where we think we're going to start. But, hey, athlete A is not really responding. They need more. Athlete B needs to get this, right? So really what you're doing is you're saying, in my collective years of experience, plus my knowledge, plus all the experts I've talked to, I think this is the direction our program should probably go as a starting place. But it's still really fundamentally a guess because then you have to adjust and move forward. Well, now well, all we're trying to do is saying maybe we can reduce, not solve, just reduce the amount of guesswork. And we can hedge your bets a little bit. There's still going to have to be a lot of on-field interpretation. You're going to have to adjust as you go. But it's going to be like maybe, okay, your athlete walks in for the first time. They do their their, their normal screening, their testing, their pre-testing, whatever it is that you do as a coach. And in addition, oh, okay. Um, wipe your finger on this little thing and I'm going to get a report back and it says, okay, oh, you're much more likely to respond better to uh, more heavy lifting and actually you maybe want more intervals. Oh, okay, great. And it's not perfect and some people won't fall into the right spot, but maybe it's a starting place so you don't have as many errors. And and really, if we're talking about strength coaches and we've got numbers, right? you got a strength coach, you're a division one place, you got 150 athletes you're trying to take care of. Well, if we can bring that window of error down a little bit, boy, that makes huge differences. Oh, no doubt. No doubt about it. And just yeah. that simple group A, group B, although not perfect, would solve a lot of issues in, its, in and of itself. Yeah. And then maybe, hey, you know, maybe that's what we need to get to group A, B, C. And then that's what we need to get to group A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and you get the idea. Uh, but what you have to think about this is, is, is don't blame how the limitations now but think of this as we would have never got to the iPhone 7 if they wouldn't have started with the iPod, right? Yeah, that's that's a good analogy. I like that. So it's like, hey, yeah, there's limitations and you can't do a lot of it and it's going to be long and it's going to be complaints. But this is what we have to do to get to the place that we all need to go. And trust me, I don't know as much as, as you practitioners know about you know what it's like to be on the field 70 hours or in the, in the strength room 70 hours a week. But I know enough to be like, I see the limitation too, and I promise you, like we're trying to get there, but we got to start here first. Let me build this iPod. Let's generate proof of concept. Let's generate support. And then in 15, 20 years, you know, we can have touchscreen, big screen TVs. Yeah, and a watch. 
Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, the microchips and the nano the nanochips are here. Oh yeah. So that's only like it, it's only a matter of time before we get that in a performance. And it's not, honestly, it's not even a matter of time. It's a matter of support. Yeah. If people want it, it'll happen. Yeah. If you want to just talk about it, it won't happen. But if you want it to make action, this stuff's going to happen. No doubt. So going to the 70 hours a week in the gym, <laughs> you, you do plenty of work with that too. So let's talk about, yeah. let, let, let's, let's go into the fighters a little bit. Let's talk about <laughs> how the doctor and the coach intermix and, and how that trains into your guys who are, who are you know, getting after each other here a bit. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because I've actually found it's very, very similar to people that are in either the private or the collegiate sector in terms of, look, if you're a, a, a college strength conditioning coach, you still got to mitigate the head sport coach. Like tennis coach wants to tell you what to do. And, and like we had just <laughs> we, we, anyone that's done this, you know, already I've said enough. You know what I mean, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's actually very similar in combat sports because unlike a division one sport though most combat sport athletes mma fighters they don't have a single head coach a lot of them are extremely disorganized a lot of them are i wake up today and uh let's see what am i going to do well uh i'll text all of my coaches and see who's around oh my boxing coach is available cool go box what am i going to do well i'm going to box well technique speed i don't know like whatever coach says okay great and then come back in the afternoon. Well, who's available? Oh, my strength coach is here. I'm going to go lift. What are we going to do? Uh, I don't know. And you're like, that's the level of organization. Actually, that would be better than average, probably. So it gets really bad. And so as a strength coach and as from my perspective, my role for the athlete is honestly to play whatever role they need. And I have to take a step back. Sometimes that means I'm in charge. Sometimes I'm the top dog in the camp, and I'm the one that tells them what to do. I, I structure when we practice, what the week's going to look like, the whole training camp. I tell them what to eat, nutrition. I tell coaches how hard to go, not to go. And some of the athletes, I play like a, hey, I'll, we'll talk every couple of weeks, and just let me know if I need to do something. And and be and the reason I play both of those roles is because I have to realize like. Everyone else and the coaching staff is probably fighting for control. And what that generally is, is they're insecure about their position. And so they generally be able to be like, I want to be the one in charge because if not, they're not going to find value in me. So they're going to find another boxing coach. So when they show up to my workout, I got to make sure they get a killer workout every single time so that they leave here and feel like I'm a good coach. Well, I mean – how well does that go when you beat your athletes down every time they step in the weight room? Right. That's not a good coach. Yeah. A good coach is giving the athlete what they need. And so it, it's really complicated that way. So my role is, is really, really different. And I just try to, I try to look at their whole camp and their whole team and go, okay, what can I do either as a minor part or do I need to step up and kind of take charge here and, and get them in the right position so that they can succeed? Because at the end of the day, it's their career, not mine. No, that's real interesting. So then let's talk about how you kind of take that sports science as we use it in in strength and conditioning athletics mm -hmm. now. Kind of, I'm sure that's kind of insulting to people that are actually in sports science now that I come to think about it. But anyway, yeah, um, but that being the guy, the high performance director, how does that work versus being – so let's say you have two people, me and another guy – and you're yep. running my show, but the other guy, you're kind of taking the back seat. So talk us through that. How does that work? 
Yeah, so really what it is 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 uh, also because in MMA, typically they they don't have teams. So you coach, like you're, you're your own team, and you might know another guy who's also fighting, but you're not teammates. And so your camp, your team is, is totally independent. And so a lot of times there's not a crowd. And a lot of times, like you might know a guy, but, but you don't have one place that you go to practice every day. You don't have one like home base and there's no home team for these folks a lot. So it's, it's really complicated and it's, it's, it's not like a normal sport dynamic where it's sort of like we have two teammates and they're wondering why one coach is doing a different thing with them because these are almost independent. A lot of times they don't even know. I'm like, oh yeah, you work with this guy too? Yeah. What do you do with him? I run his whole camp. Oh my God, I didn't even know that. I trained with him three days a week. Like they don't even have those exchanges of information. It's completely separate. So what I try to do is say, okay, let's come into my lab. Let's do as much performance-based testing that's really gonna help you. Uh, let me take care of your blood work or put you in contact with someone. Oh, you also have a knee injury. I know a sports uh, orthopedic down here that understands them. And like, what role can I play from the science aspect to, to put you in a better position? But in the end of the day, mostly that means you, the athlete, got to do the work because they don't have managers all the time. They don't have head coaches. They don't have agents or their agents don't play that role. And so it, it, there's a real lack of support in terms of the infrastructure of the, of the whole sport. Um, they got to cover their own travel. They got to book their own flights to their fights. Like they got to do all of these things. And so I just try to play whatever role I can. And I'll probably say performance wise, the biggest thing that I've found with this particular community is a fundamental misunderstanding of strength and speed. Like everything is conditioned with them. Mm -hmm. Everything. And if it's strength work, it's, it's higher volume strength work, eights, tens, twelves. And we're like, that's not really true, true speed work and their or strength work and their speed work is all circuit-based stuff. So 30 of these jumps, jump as many as you can, then 20 of those. And so that's where I'm really kind of can step in and be like, hey, we need to get you with a real strength coach, a real performance person, or if I'll be that role, if I need to be that role, fine. But if not, I know a guy, and a couple of years ago, I actually found a guy down here, PJ Nessler, who's phenomenal. Uh, he moved here just to do MMA speed, strength and conditioning stuff. And so now I can outsource him and be like, hey, you don't know what speed was, get your ass down, get get with PJ, and then within one session, you'll understand what real speed means. And they're like, oh, okay. So it, it's it's kind of weird. I can't really perfectly answer your question for that matter because they're not really necessarily right. on a team. I'm just kind of, it's going to be a lot of communication with you and figure out what is it really you need and communication with the other athlete and figure out what is it really they need and what role should I play. Which is a good tie-in though because you're talking about how they're, how they're not a team, but you guys are involved with a lot of teams. So this is a whole nother hat. Yeah. So let's talk about how that relationship changes when you're looking at the work going from your combat sport athletes to the work you guys do with the NHL or the NBA or whatever it may be. Yeah, so uh, because we essentially run as a, what I'll call a concierge service, which is, it sounds really weird, but what that basically means is I don't have to work with any athlete or team. I don't want to. My income's not based on it. My salary's not based on it. My career is not based on it. And so these are passion projects because this is what I love and this is what Lee Brown loves and this is what our students love. And so the first difference between those two is I vet either the situation or the team or Lee does and be like, look, I'm not dealing with this guy because their strength coach is an asshole. So we're out. Like your whole team, you know, your kings, you're gone. 
or this the you know, Celtics, you're out. Whatever happens to be. Not that those are examples. I just picked up two random names. Don't right. think like, oh, they had a problem with the Celtics coach. I don't know who it is. He's probably a great guy. She's great. great. I don't know. Um, but that's what we do. Is so we say, okay, let, uh, when we work with the professional teams, we go right to their head strength coach. It's usually not their sport coach because you know they're higher up the pecking order. So we go to their strength coach, or honestly, what realistically happened is their strength coach reaches out to us. And then we say, okay, let's let's draw a line of communication directly from strength coach. Uh, and then, then that also means uh, the strength coach will bring on board their physical therapist, their sports med staff, or whatever things they have. And then we then we basically come in and say, look, we're not in charge here. We're here to help you however we can. So if you tell us what you want, what information you need, and then we'll play it back to you. And in those cases, I don't really have to give them recommendations of what to do. I just have to help them see what I found. Because if I come to you and say, hey, we saw that you guys are um, – their reactive strength is, is not where they should be, and their peak anaerobic power is not you know, elite. And the strength coach, oh, okay, yeah, I know what that is, and I know how to fix that. I got a thousand ways to do that, boom. So I don't have to tell them what to do as much. With the MMA folks, I have to tell them what I found, what that means, why they should care, how that will change their actual fight, what to actually do about it. I'll have to write the program itself. I'll probably have to put them through most of the workouts and then I'll have to spend more than all that time convincing their other coaches why you can't beat them up right before I go try to do strength work because then it doesn't work and this is why it matters in the cage. So that's the real fundamental difference is with a true professional strength coach or like PJ. I can do that with PJ and I'll just tell him, hey, this is what I saw in the lab and he'll immediately fix their programming and work different. So that is the fundamental difference is um, what to do versus simply what I found. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. Well, yeah, but, but I, I can see how one would be a different challenge than the other, but being able to, yeah. and I think calling it a concierge servant is, is pretty dead on, but being yeah. able to contribute whatever it may be in that specific realm to the best of the best is pretty awesome. Yeah, and we have you know we have a great relationship like I mentioned with our um, strength coaches at Fullerton Isaac and Will, and we do the same thing with them. They'll just they're actually their strength and conditioning facility is 15 yards from our sports lab, and so like they'll come over. They use our microwave for lunch. They use our refrigerator to store their food. Um, so we literally see them hours every day, and they'll just pop out what they're eating, and then and we'll just talk shop, and they'll be like, hey, you know, this has been going on with the cross country team. What do you guys think? And then a lot of times I'll be like, dude, um, I mean I could. I could talk shop with you, but you're you're the real expert. Or I'll I'll run down and be like, hey guys, like we just finished this study. This is what we found on vertical jump stuff. I think we should really try this with the volleyball team. And they're generally extremely receptive, and they'll and they'll put it into place. So it, it, we have a very good relationship of mutual respect. And I know that I'm not as good as programming. I know I'm not on the field as much as they are. So I'm not going to act like I know it just because I have a PhD. Right? I'm not going to walk in and be like, look, let me write your programs for you. You guys are all stupid. You have no idea what you're doing. Like, but by the same token, I, I like, this is your expertise, but I think I can add this here. And then on the opposite side, hey, actually, tell me what you're doing here because this is what we're finding in the lab, but is this actually transferable? Are you seeing a difference? No, you're not. Okay, maybe we got to go back to the lab and, and change something because that's not a, it may be significant in the lab, but it's not making a practical difference in the field. So we got to retool it. We got to rehash it. That's awesome. And that, to have an, a relationship like that is very unique because there's a lot of institutions where it doesn't work out like that. Yeah, we had uh, we were fortunate a couple of years ago. I got a guy named John Cronin, Dr. Cronin, uh, to come up to our lab. Now he's the director of the New Zealand um, Olympic Training Center. Effectively, it, they do research there in terms of they publish stuff, uh, and he runs all the stuff. Now New Zealand has the highest 
gold or a medal count per capita of any country in the world. So they get a lot of medals for their people. Now, I don't know if that held true in Rio, but they're traditionally first or very, very high up there. So they got a small pool of people, but with their people, they, they win a lot of gold. And so to me, that represents they must be doing something really well training-wise. Yeah. Must it, right? And so we had him come up, and he kind of did this world tour, uh, this American tour, and he spent, I don't know, like a month up here going around to all these universities to meet with their sports science staff as well as their um, strength and conditioning staff. And our stop at Fullerton was his last stop, and he got down there, and I walked him through this stuff and, and did all this things we've been talking about and he was like 15 minutes in he was like i haven't seen this in america yet like this i can't believe it i actually found a sports science staff that works with their strength coaches and i'm like i, I knew that was kind of true but i'm like is it really that bad and he's like we didn't find anyone in fact most of them had extremely bitter relationships towards each other and i'm like man guys <laughs> what are we doing this for like <laughs> what's the purpose of doing this if we're gonna hate each other uh, and, and this goes to two-way street. A lot of the coaches will offend the sports scientists because it is tremendously hard work. Like you just don't understand how hard science can be. And like, for example, you could look at one of my papers and immediately start criticizing it. But you might realize like, one, I didn't maybe want to design it that way either. But my peer review people made me change that. So you're like, a lot of times it's out of my hands. And I'm like, I don't have an option. And it's just way longer than you think. And it's tremendously difficult. And so the sports scientists can get personal. I mean, you hurt, it hurts your heart, not to sound too soft, but it offends you when you're like, man, I just spent three years working my tail off trying to do performance research, and then the performance people immediately come and take a crap on it because I didn't do one thing they wanted to do. Right. And, and so you get offended, and you're like, well, the hell with you guys. I'm not helping you at all. And then the inverse, the sports scientists can walk into your weight room and start telling you what to do. And then, of course, you spent the last 80 years working or the last 10 years working 80 hours a week going to seminars, paying out of your own pocket to buy DVDs and go, what, what do you mean, bro? Like you haven't been in this field for 10 days. So there's an equal offense there. So what we both need to do is recognize we're both working our tail off. We're both trying to get the same thing. And instead of criticizing each other, let's let's compliment and say, hey, this has been really interesting. But, you know, I'm curious about how you think you could help this on the field or I'm interested why you didn't do this. Oh, I see the limitation. Oh, that was cost prohibitive or this or whatever. And, and I think you can do that and those relationships can be mended and, and hopefully be complementary. We, we've done so many studies because that's exactly what's happened. Will or Isaac's been in our room and been like, yeah, we've been doing this and, and we've been messing around with this and we've liked this a lot. And we we're like, that's a fantastic idea. That's our next study. Like, let, let's line that up. Right. So. It, it sounds like that's how it should work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah. so you guys do have a lot of good stuff going on. You've got some great stuff going on. Let, let's leave it with this. Where can people find more about you? Where can they keep in touch with you? And what does the future hold coming out of California with you? Yeah, so you can follow our stuff anywhere. Uh, we're kind of spread out. Um, the Center for Sport Performance itself has an Instagram page. I think it's CSP Fullerton or something like that. You can follow me personally. I put all of my stuff up there. Um, it's at DR, like Dr. Andy Galpin. That's uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those things. You can check out my personal website, which is andygalpin.com. And what that is, is I take every lecture uh, I've ever given, whether I be at a conference, all of my class lectures, and I put them all up in videos, and I do it in five minutes or less, 25 minutes or less, or 55 minutes or less, or more. And it's all free. 
It's 100% free and it always will be free. So that's up there. You can check that out. I'm going to continue to build that stuff more as I, as I get more time. Um, and, and then the other thing you could do is you could search uh, on my, my one of my websites called ResearchGate, G-A-T-E. And what that is, is it's kind of like a, a LinkedIn account but for research. And so what we do is I try to put up every one of my papers, the full paper, up there for free as well. And so I know a lot of you coaches are don't have access to these journals and stuff anymore. And so what we do is what that means is we pay the fees, which are really, really, really high, to pay off the journal to say, let me make sure that this this study is open access because I think someone would actually want to read this thing. So I do all of that, and that's generally up there for free. And then the last thing is uh, I will put out all of our stuff as soon as it gets into press on all the social medias, and I'll do my best to, if it's not free, I'll try to give you the take-home message on the, on the Instagram post or on Facebook and be like, hey, this is what I think really matters. If you don't have access to it, I get it. Because my career goal when I got hired at Fullerton, I told Lee Brown, I want to do equal or more lay publications, blog posts, exactly what I'm doing right now. For every study that I do, I want to do more, two, three, four, five of these lay publications. Because on average, about seven people total read a peer-reviewed published study. Seven. 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 So what that means is I'm spending two or three years doing a study and seven people are reading it. And so I'm going to be like, you know what? It's worth my time to do your podcast, to, to do all these other things and get this stuff out there. I'll do blogs, all this stuff. So I try to just get the information out. Not that I'm right or wrong, but it's just like, hey, here, here's what it is. And use it how you will or don't use it. Disagree, criticize me, and maybe that'll help me think, think of another better idea to fix it. Um, that's all okay. I just want to get the information out so you as practitioners can make the best choice possible. So what we have in the future coming up is some really, really cool stuff um, where my colleague and good friend, his name is Dr. Jimmy Bagley at the same uh, social media, I think, at DR Jimmy Bagley. But he just started a muscle physiology lab at San Francisco State, and he is an expert in uh, microscopes. And so what he's been able to do is we take the muscle biopsies. We pull out individual muscle fibers from some of these elite athletes, and he takes them and he puts them in a laser scanning confocal microscope, and he can actually he can actually look at the laser in complete three dimensions. So we can tag them for whatever we want: proteins, mitochondria, and we can fiber type, and we can do all this stuff, and we can spin it around in three dimensions and not only look at how many of these proteins and, and organelle you have, but where exactly in the fiber they're at, what they're doing, what their relationship is. And what we're specifically interested in is the thing called the nuclei, which is what holds your DNA and what tells your muscle grow, shrink, repair, die. And so a project we're trying to get funded right now is being able to say, okay, let's take these things. Let's start looking at these in different athletes because I think that exactly explains why, specifically why some people recover better than others. Yeah. Because some of these elite athletes we've tested have way more of these nuclei than others. Ooh. And if this works – if we get the funding for this project, we're going to go on then and start testing that stuff I was alluding to earlier, which is, okay, let's pre-test people, put them on specific programs, and see if it shakes. Maybe it doesn't, and we scratch the board, and we start somewhere else. Fine. But we think we can really start to individualize and, and explain elite-level performance because our contention in our lab has always been one of the major problems with all of sports science is we're not studying the elite people. 
We don't know enough about fizz, muzzle fizz because we don't study people there. We only study people who are sick or just about not to get sick. And yeah. So we've just missed a lot of physiology on the other end. So, but that's something we're doing right now. We've got a crowdfunding campaign on a website called experiment.com forward slash muscle science. And if we get the funding uh, through from, from folks like you, then uh, we're almost there. We're over 50% funded. We've got five days left. So, uh, if we get that thing, we'll we'll buy that microscope piece and we'll crush this thing and we'll get on to the next one. So that's that's the future for us. Well, the good news is this will be up Monday, so you're going to have another three days, folks. That Perfect. link, all of these links, all of those uh, web addresses for the social media will be right underneath, guys. Check it out. Get on it because uh, this is big time stuff and this is the future of what we're trying to do. Doc, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us, man. This is. Uh, this is something we're going to need to keep revisiting so we can keep your, your information and your research going going live and, and getting out to all the people out here. Let's do it, man. I can't thank you enough for doing a podcast like this. It's like, let's get the science. Let's get it out to people that care. Uh, yeah, this is man. what matters. Well, I appreciate that. We will be in touch real soon, my friend. Thank you very much. Fantastic, brother. See ya. Yeah. And a huge thanks again to Cal State Fullerton's Dr. Andy Galpin for spending the time with us today. Guys, all those links are going to be listed below. You know, the Department of Kinesiology is going to be under there. His social media accounts, uh, Jimmy Bagley's social media accounts, of course, IndyGaplin.com, MuscleFizzLab.com. And, guys, the crowdfunding, the stuff they're talking about, they're trying to help us be better. They're trying to find the answers that coaches want. So, guys, if you can drop five bucks or whatever it may be to help these guys get this research going, I know that they would greatly appreciate it. I would greatly appreciate it. Because they're doing killer work out there. So let's make sure we're supporting the people that are trying to support us. And as always, guys, if you enjoyed the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Tweet, Facebook, whatever it may be. Get it out there, guys. Again, we're just trying to share great information with all the great coaches out there. And again, Dr. Galpin, thanks for spending the time. Thanks for continuing to push the profession. And guys, we'll be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.